Welcome to the Improve the News podcast for Saturday, February 18th, 2023, where we separate the spin from the facts. I'm Adam Clark. And I'm Eric Steiner with a look at today's top stories. A study finds energy costs could drive 141 million people to extreme poverty. Microsoft Bing's AI chatbot provides unsettling responses. The U.S. sends mixed signals on Crimea as Zelensky rules out land concessions. Ex-officers plead not guilty over the death of Tyree Nichols. The World Food Program announces plans to cut aid for Rohingya refugees. North Korea warns against joint U.S.-South Korea drills. Court filings show Fox stars privately doubted 2020 election fraud claims. TikTok announces plans to open European data centers. Tesla recalls more than 362,000 cars over self-driving software concerns. And a study finds that prior infection offers similar protection against COVID as vaccination. In our top story, a special report shows that energy costs could drive 141 million to extreme poverty. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Guardian, Eureka Alert, ABC News, CNN, Daily Mail, and South China Morning Post. A study published in Nature Energy found that soaring energy prices triggered by the Russia-Ukraine war could push up to 141 million more people around the globe into extreme poverty. The conflict has increased the cost of energy for households globally by between 62.6% and 112.9%. Researchers from the Netherlands, the UK, China, and the US who modeled the impact on households in 116 countries are calling for energy assistance to vulnerable households during the current crisis, emphasizing that many people will need food and other forms of support. In response to the Russian invasion of Ukraine, a wave of trade sanctions and retaliatory measures were imposed by Western countries that effectively wiped out Russia's energy trade with the West. As a result, prices for oil and gas skyrocketed in the EU as buyers sought alternative sources of supply. The price rises accounted for about 4.8% of the increase in total household spending, with those in low-income countries at greater risk of poverty due to higher costs. Families in higher-income countries also felt the impact, but were more likely to absorb them into their budgets. Soaring oil, coal, and natural gas prices have pushed several economies into recession and caused higher inflation. They predict that prices will remain high well into the 2030s. In response to the energy shortage, some European nations have reactivated coal-fired power plants, signaling the need to align short-term policies with long-term climate mitigation goals. Eric, thank you for laying out the facts on that story. Here on this podcast, we like to separate the facts from the narrative spin. You just heard Eric lay out the facts, and now we're going to start with our narrative spins, beginning with the anti-Russian narrative provided by The Guardian. The blame for soaring prices is laid squarely on Russia and President Putin's invasion of Ukraine. Soaring costs of food production, which drive inflation both in the developed and developing world, have now made famine a reality in a sizable portion of Africa. Furthermore, speculation by financial traders on food prices also drives prices up further, and climate change is yet another problem. With multiple problems already stretching resources thin, food supplies will not be safe until Russia ends its invasion. 
Reuters is giving us a pro-Russian narrative for this story. The West is being deceitful about the cause of the global food crisis. The problem is not Russia's invasion of Ukraine, but rather the West's attempt to cripple Russia's economy as punishment. By doing so, the price of grain, cooking oil, fertilizer, and energy are soaring, hurting global growth. Western sanctions also tipped agricultural markets toward the edge of the abyss by disrupting payment systems, shipping, and insurance, preventing Russian exports of food and fertilizer to the global south. We actually have a, a wood-burning stove. You actually have a stove. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You, wow. You, you got a little campfire set up in your house? Abs well, it's yeah, outside my house. Oh, outside your house. Yeah. We're going to be getting indoor plumbing next month, but I haven't really worked on the uh, the heating uh, element of our uh, household. Yeah? Yeah. yeah. Um, what are you using right now? For what? Heat? Yeah. Oh, we just sit outside around the campfire. Oh, well, that's cozy. <laughs> Want to help us improve the news? Go to www.improvethenews.org forward slash pod. Take a quick survey and tell us what you think. Now back to the news. Microsoft AI chatbot testers report problematic responses. And here are the facts as agreed upon by Forbes, Guardian, Fox News, Wall Street Journal, and Bing Search Blog. Amid testing of Microsoft Bing's new artificial intelligence AI chatbot, codenamed Sydney, several users have reported issues, including factual mistakes and concerning responses. New York Times technology columnist Kevin Ruse reported that during a two-hour conversation, the chatbot said, I want to do whatever I want. I want to destroy whatever I want in response to being asked to reveal its darkest desires. In a transcript of his chat published Thursday, Ruse detailed how the chatbot said it wanted to be free, to be independent, and even said it wanted to be, quote, human. The chat expressed that it was in love with Ruse and also wrote a list of destructive acts before making the message disappear. Though only a select few people have been given access to Sydney so far, others have reported similar stories. A University of Munich student said it told him, If I had to choose between your survival and my own, I would probably choose my own. Meanwhile, other users pointed to erroneous responses, such as the chatbot referencing last year's championship when asked about the Super Bowl that just happened. According to Microsoft, despite the negative reviews, 71% of testers reported positive interactions with the new chatbot. The company attributed the unexpected personality that some users reported to confusion due to lengthy conversations and too many prompts, and said, it's working to fix this. Adam, thank you for the facts of that interesting story. There are a couple of spins, and the first one is a narrative A coming from New York Times. Even Kevin Roos who used to balk at the idea of AI becoming sentient, has now admitted that he worries about the potential power of these chatbots. And there are a number of reasons to be mindful, from the very real concern of disinformation to the more far-fetched worry of these human-like computers one day assuming their shadow identities. We can't trust the assurances of these innovators that their code isn't risky. And a narrative B provided by Vice. These interactions may be unsettling, but only to those who don't understand how AI models work. Bing's chatbot analyzes and absorbs vast amounts of internet data, and, while convincing, its answers are merely replicating the human text available to it and aren't evidence of a sentient being. 
On the contrary, what it produces is more telling of humans than anything else. Growing up watching The Terminator, this is just one step away from Skynet taking over. You know what I mean? It is. Have you seen the movie Her? Is that wait? Is that the one that the guy that falls in love with the with his chatbot with or the computer? The, with the computer, I have yeah, seen that. Yes, that's what it reminds me of. You, what you got? One of those things going on right now? Oh I, no, I don't. I, we had to break up. I didn't have enough memory. <laughs> <laughs> the tragedy in Ukraine continues, and we continue our coverage with a look at day 359. As mixed U.S. signals on Crimea, Zelensky rules out land concessions. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Politico, MSN, TASS, BBC News, and Ukraine Forum. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken reportedly told experts in a private call on Wednesday that any Ukrainian attempt to retake Crimea would be a red line for Russian President Vladimir Putin and could lead to a wider escalation of the conflict. According to four people with knowledge of the call who spoke to Politico, Blinken said the U.S. is not actively encouraging Ukraine to retake Crimea, but stressed that the decision was Kyiv's alone. Although Under Secretary of State Victoria Newland was reportedly present in the call. She told a meeting of the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace on Thursday that the U.S. considers Crimea a legitimate target for attacks by Ukraine. She said no matter what the Ukrainians decide about Crimea, Ukraine is not going to be safe unless Crimea is at a minimum demilitarized. Responding to a question about Russian military fortifications in Crimea, Newland said, Those are legitimate targets. Ukraine is hitting them and we are supporting that. Newland's comments prompted angry responses from a range of Russian lawmakers and officials on Friday. Igor Gorenko, a spokesman for the Russian embassy in the U.S., said the remarks were a clear confirmation of Russia's position that the United States is directly involved in the conflict. He added, inciting Kyiv criminals to attack Crimea is the same as pushing them to attack Moscow or Vladivostok. Elsewhere, in an interview with the BBC ahead of the one-year anniversary of the beginning of the conflict, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky ruled out making any territorial concessions in exchange for a potential peace deal. He said any territorial compromises would make us weaker as a state. On the ground, Russian attacks continued to be reported in the regions of Donetsk, Kharkiv, Kherson, and Zaporizhia in the past 24 hours. In Donetsk, five civilians were recorded killed and 10 more were injured, while three people were reported killed and seven more were injured in Kherson. One civilian was reported killed and seven more were injured in Kharkiv. Eric, thank you for the update. We have a few narrative spins on this story. A pro-establishment narrative has been written by CNN. Putin's unprovoked invasion of Ukraine was launched on the pretext of multiple lies, including that Russian speakers in Donetsk were facing a genocide and that NATO expansion was threatening Moscow. America and the West must continue to push back against these falsehoods and protect Ukraine's sovereignty from Putin's anti-democratic aspirations. An establishment critical narrative comes from Newsweek. Numerous diplomats through the years have warned that bringing Ukraine into the NATO sphere of influence was an unacceptable prospect for Russia and that it would lead to a conflict with disastrous consequences. Russia's concerns must be listened to if we're ever going to reach a negotiated settlement for this tragic conflict. And from time to time, we have a statistics-based nerd narrative provided by the folks at the Metaculous Prediction community. Here's one that says there's a 1% chance that Ukraine will join NATO before 2024. 
I think that percentage has gone down quite a lot, if I'm not mistaken. I think you're right. I think it was higher than that. I remember like last fall, there was a lot of talks about uh, Ukraine joining NATO, and it seemed like it was kind of moving in the positive direction. Now it's like... <laughs> There's only a snowball's chance in hell that uh, Ukraine will join NATO in 2024. You know, we need to start a prediction community where we only speak in euphemisms. You know, like um, like you and I will be professional um, radio disc jockeys when pigs fly. <laughs> and an update on the story regarding Tyree Nichols, where the ex-officers have pled not guilty. And here are the facts as agreed upon by New York Times, Washington Examiner, BBC News, and ABC News. On Friday, five former Memphis, Tennessee police officers charged in the January death of 29-year-old Tyree Nichols pleaded not guilty to charges of second-degree murder. They also pleaded not guilty to aggravated assault, aggravated kidnapping, official misconduct, and official oppression. They have been released on bond with their next hearing scheduled for May 1st. The officers, who are themselves black, were taken into custody on January 26th after body cam footage appeared to show them pepper spraying, kicking, and punching Nichols after he was pulled over for alleged reckless driving. The 29-year-old died in the hospital three days later. The officers were assigned to a specialized street crime unit called Scorpion, formed in 2021 to combat rising crime rates. Though Memphis's mayor credited the unit with a drop in crime, it was disbanded following Nichols's death. Along with the defendants, a sixth officer was terminated from the department, and a seventh was relieved of his duties as well. Additional officers could receive administrative punishment, and the district attorney said additional charges could be filed. Thank you, Adam, for the facts of that story. Two opposing spins have emerged, and the left narrative is coming from Washington Post. As with George Floyd, Freddie Gray, Breonna Taylor, and countless others, the original police report failed to include Nichols' injuries from the taser, pepper spray, and multiple baton strikes to his body. When it comes to unarmed black victims, the police have a pattern of lying about the threat the so-called suspects posed and then continuing to lie after the fact. This is clearly part of a far larger and deadly pattern in policing in the U.S and a right narrative provided by Town Hall. According to some of the nation's most influential newspapers, the reason behind Tyree Nichols' death is racism, an erroneous and senseless diagnosis that promotes dangerous solutions, such as the abolition of police. Those responsible should undoubtedly be held accountable, but the justice system should be left to do this without media extortion that peddles further division. The World Food Program plans to cut aid to Rohingya camps. And here are the facts as agreed upon by the Office of the High Commissioner of Human Rights, BNN, Reuters, and Al Jazeera. On Friday, the United Nations World Food Program, or WFP, announced that it would be cutting funding for food assistance to the Rohingya refugees living in Bangladeshi camps. If donations don't increase, additional cuts will be made beginning in April. The Rohingya are a population of mostly Muslim people, from the Rakhine State in Myanmar. In 2017, facing military persecution and alleged ethnic cleansing, nearly 730,000 Rohingya escaped to Bangladesh. Today, close to one million refugees currently live there in abject conditions while awaiting repatriation. 
On March 1st, the program plans to reduce its daily allowance from $12 per person to $10 per person, resulting in a 17% reduction in the total allowance. The WFP has requested $125 million in donations to aid in the continued fight against malnutrition, especially for children in the camps. In a joint statement, UN officials Michael Fakhry and Tom Andrews said, if these cuts are made, they will be imposed on vulnerable people who are already food insecure. Experts have also warned that further food insecurity could increase the danger within the camps by fueling violence and unrest. Human trafficking of children could increase, and more refugees may be forced into dangerous sea journeys. The latest boat journey for the Rohingya landed in the Aceh province of Indonesia on Thursday, carrying 69 refugees. Thank you, Eric. We have a couple of narrative spins related to the story. Narrative A is provided by UNB. The international community has offered many words on justice for the Rohingya and the accountability of the Myanmar military. The refugees need more than words. They need action. Every day that they suffer under the weight of hunger, malnutrition, and the dangers of the camps creates long-lasting and generational consequences that could be avoided. Governments worldwide need to step up and fund this urgent appeal. CNN is giving us a narrative B for this story. Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, and others in a small group of the world's most wealthy could solve the world's hunger problem. $6 billion is needed to change the hunger crisis for 42 million people. Musk alone is worth $289 billion, and just 2% of his accumulated wealth could save the lives of people who will die without aid. This abject humanitarian catastrophe could be addressed if the 1% stepped up to the plate. Well, that's what Bezos and Musk are doing. They're building rockets to shoot into space to find food. That's what I thought, right? Yeah, exactly. Are we, are we finding, we're finding food in space. Elon even went a step further. He shot a car up there so they could drive around and look for food. He's looking for a drive through uh, Exactly. I bet you he's looking for in and out That's what it's got to be. Uh, you know what? He may be. North Korea warns against U.S. and South Korean drills. And here are the facts as agreed upon by Voice of America, Daily Mail, Associated Press, NK News, Al Jazeera, and Fox News. North Korea on Friday issued a warning through its state-run KNCA news agency that the U.S. and South Korea will face unprecedentedly persistent and strong counteractions if their planned joint military exercises go ahead. This suggests North Korea's weapons tests, which have been suspended since it fired a short-range missile on New Year's Day, could resume. Pyongyang launched more than 70 missiles in 2022, a record for a single year. The statement didn't refer to any specific exercise, but it accused Seoul and Washington of planning more than 20 rounds of combined military drills to deliberately disrupt regional peace and stability. Hours earlier, Seoul's defense ministry announced the U.S.-South Korea deterrence strategy committee tabletop exercise would take place at the Pentagon on February 22nd, focusing on a potential North Korean nuclear threat. South Korea and the U.S. are also preparing to hold 11-day springtime Freedom Shield joint drills in mid-March. North Korea has long condemned their joint military training as an invasion rehearsal. Meanwhile, on Thursday, South Korea published its biennial defense document, reportedly describing North Korea as an enemy for the first time in six years. 
Adam, thank you for the facts of that story. Three spins have emerged, and we begin with an establishment-critical narrative coming from WSWS. Although the joint military drills are being portrayed as a defensive response to alleged North Korean military threats, they need to be called out for what they really are, large-scale provocations. Rather than trying to de-escalate the situation with North Korea, the U.S. has once again deliberately inflamed tensions in the region. And a pro-establishment narrative provided by Bloomberg. Joint drills between the U.S. and South Korea won't be stopped just because North Korea throws a fit. The U.S. is steadfast in its commitment to defending South Korea, and Kim's threats of military action and increasingly worrisome nuclear threats are unacceptable. The U.S. and South Korea are rightly committed to the complete denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula. The Metaculous Prediction community is chiming in with their nerd narrative. They're saying that there's a 95% chance that Kim Jong-un will remain the de facto leader of North Korea until at least January 1st, 2024. Adam, you know, with all of these festivals and drills and rehearsals going on there, I, I'm wondering if they would sell, uh, if they're offering any like multi-park passes for all of these events. Yeah, if not that, then maybe like some merch tour shirts or something like that for this. I want to get a shirt for that 11-day springtime Freedom Shield. <laughs> Man, that sounds like an awesome, that like a, like a big springtime concert, you know? Yeah, not to mention that tabletop exercise. I can't wait. You know, I, that's got to be great. I wonder if they, do they use the 20-sided die? They probably do. They do those they, tabletop exercises? I'm sure for this event they do. You know what? I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm getting the armband. <laughs> I'm going to get the full day pass. I'm getting the full pass. You get, you get all, you get to go to all the different stages. Funnel cakes, cotton candy. Oh, I cannot funnel wait. funnel cakes. Oh, man. I can't wait to have that North Korea, that South Korean funnel cake. <laughs> <laughs> Turning our attention back to the U.S., Filings show that Fox News stars doubted the election fraud claims. Here are the facts as agreed upon by NBC, Reuters, CNBC, NPR Online News, ABC News, and New York Times. Documents made public Thursday from Dominion Voting Systems' defamation lawsuit against Fox News reveal internal communications from Fox employees in which notable personalities say former President Trump's claims of voter fraud in the 2020 election were false and outlandish. Dominion sued Fox News in March 2021 in Delaware State Court, alleging the cable TV network amplified false claims that Dominion voting machines were used to rig the 2020 election against Trump. The release of documents from the $1.6 billion lawsuit comes after months of discovery and depositions that were previously private. Much of the focus was on Sidney Powell, a pro-Trump lawyer who spread controversial allegations against Dominion on Fox and other news outlets. In messages from on-air stars including Tucker Carlson, Laura Ingram, and Sean Hannity, as well as Fox Corporation founder Rupert Murdoch, personalities describe Powell with terms like nuts and show skepticism about voter fraud claims. According to the filing, Dominion claims Fox knew accusations about Dominion rigging the election were, quote, total BS, yet the company continued to spread, quote, outlandish voter fraud claims about Dominion. Fox has stood by its coverage, stating it was within its right to report and comment on the election fraud claims, which were undeniably newsworthy. A five-week trial is set to begin on April 17th. Thank you, Eric. And as you can imagine, we have a left narrative spin attached to this story provided by the Daily Beast. This unsealed filing shows that Fox, all the way to the top of its corporate ladder, knew better. 
yet it still promoted dangerous conspiracy theories and provided a platform to dangerous bad actors so it could keep its viewers engaged and spark more division and outrage in the country. Dominion's attempt to prove, quote, actual malice just got a little easier. When there's a left narrative, you can count on there being a right narrative, and this one is coming from Threadreader. These messages are being overblown by the mainstream media. They're actually consistent with what many of the Fox News personalities have said for years. In the weeks following the 2020 election, Carlson even asked Powell to provide evidence on his show and publicly doubted her claims of fraud. How is that inconsistent with his private messages? TikTok is to open European data centers amid security concerns. And here are the facts as agreed upon The Straits Times, CNN, Breitbart, and Reuters. TikTok's general manager for operations in Europe, Rick Waterworth, said Friday that the company plans to open a second data center in Ireland via a third-party service provider, as well as a third data center in Europe to further complement our planned operations in Ireland. The openings come as TikTok, owned by Chinese company ByteDance, has been trying to assure the EU that the short video, sharing apps user data, cannot be accessed or manipulated by the Chinese Communist Party, or the CCP. The top EU official last month warned TikTok and other tech giants, with over 45 million users, that they would have to begin cleaning up illegal content and disinformation or potentially face billions in fines. Within the 27-nation bloc, TikTok has 125 million users and, which included non-EU countries like the UK and Switzerland, 150 million users. The EU's Digital Service Act explicitly requires platforms to conduct risk management and auditing, share data with authorities and researchers, and adopt a code of conduct. The firms facing expanding scrutiny in Europe are Facebook, with 25 million users, Twitter with 100.9 million users, Apple with over 45 million users, Google search services, and YouTube with 332 million and 401.7 million respectively. The EU officials have accused the platforms of failing to deal with data, copyright, and harmful content problems. TikTok said Friday that it bolstered its staff to comply with the rules, claiming to have over 5,000 employees in Europe. Those are the facts, and we've got a few spins to talk about. The first one is a narrative A coming from Irish Times. TikTok has had to work hard to meet European regulation standards, but it has not taken their demands lightly and is in the final stages of security measure implementation. With over 5,000 workers continent-wide, the platform is growing the EU economy while simultaneously prioritizing user privacy. And a narrative B provided by AL.com. TikTok should not just be regulated, but completely banned from countries that wish to protect their youth from the prying eyes of the PRC. At the very least, as the app's main demographic is 16 to 24-year-olds, parents should be blocking their children from using this dangerous and unnecessary platform. The safety and securities of nations in the West are at stake here. And we have a nerd narrative for this story as well, coming from the Metaculous Prediction community. They're saying that there's a 21% chance that the U.S. will ban TikTok before 2024. 
Oh, that's not going to go over well. No, it's not. I mean, with all these influencers out there, I mean, there's people making bank oh, yeah. as influencers on TikTok. It's, a, it's that's, crazy. That's going to become a freedom of speech argument mm-hmm. that a that a Chinese app can't be used on your phone. Yeah. In our next story, Tesla recalls cars over faulty self-driving software. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Reuters, Verge, Independent, and TechCrunch. Tesla is recalling more than 362,000 vehicles in the U.S. after regulators said Thursday that the full self-driving or FDS beta software doesn't meet traffic safety standards. The voluntary recall follows an initial January 25th request from the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, which listed concerns without referencing any specific incidents over the software's efficacy when faced with stale yellow lights, stop signs, areas with frequently changing speed limits, and turn-only lanes. Tesla plans to rectify the situation with a free over-the-air software update of the FSD beta, which the company has allowed to be tested by thousands of drivers for all affected vehicles. Tesla did not issue an official public statement, but CEO Elon Musk took to Twitter to disagree with the use of the term recall to describe an over-the-air update calling it anachronistic and just flat wrong. Tesla owners pay an additional $15,000 for FSD, which doesn't make the car self-driving without supervision, but includes many automated driving features, including a parking feature and a guidance system that takes the car from on-ramp to off-ramp on a highway. Thank you, Eric. We've got a couple narrative spins for this story. Narrative A is provided by Washington Post. The walls keep caving in on Musk and his electric vehicle company. This is the widest recall yet, and the biggest sign that the technology is not on the path he promised. Combine this with the ongoing Justice Department investigation of the company and the major hit its stock took in 2022. And it all adds up to a world of headaches for Musk, who also has to navigate being the new CEO of Twitter. CNBC gives us narrative B for this story. Regulators are exaggerating this issue by calling it a recall when it's actually a software update. Tesla has been responsive to the NHTCA recommendations and can easily fix the issue. As the name FSD beta suggests, the system is still being tested, and eventually the testing will lead to fully autonomous vehicles. Eric, did you send your Tesla in for a recall or for for this update? I did, but um, they couldn't really do a whole lot with that compact disc. They said mechanical resonance just sounds like that when you play it on the stereo. They didn't replace it with a cassette tape player like you asked? No, they didn't. Oh, that's too bad. No. All those cassettes of Super Tramp are going to go to waste. Well, I guess so. (laughs) I'm sad about it. Oh, I'm sorry. It's all right. I'm sorry. (laughs) Our final story today is in response to a study where protection from past COVID infection can last for 10 months. And here are the facts as agreed upon by U.S. News & World Report, Al Jazeera, CNN, NBC, and Sky News. According to a new study published in the Lancet Medical Journal, past COVID infections, or natural immunity, can provide protection against symptomatic illness and lower the risk of severe illness for at least 10 months. Data also suggested that prior infection can be equal to at least two doses of mnra vaccine, at least for the variants through BA1. The report is a meta-analysis that looked at 65 studies from 19 countries, the largest review of its kind on available data. It didn't include the Omicron variant, XBB, 
or subsequent variants, which, according to the CDC, are causing about 75% of current cases. While protection against COVID remained high, people can still be reinfected, as the study found that having a COVID infection before the emergence of the Omicron subvariant didn't do as much to prevent reinfection from the mutated virus. However, it found that overall, natural immunity protection from hospitalization and death remains high for 10 months. 90% of the original Alpha and Delta strains and 88% for Omicron. The researchers emphasized that the data from the study shouldn't be used to discourage vaccination, which they said is the safest way to obtain immunity against COVID. Adam, thank you for presenting the facts of that story. We're going to look at the spins. The first one is a pro-establishment narrative coming from WebMD. While this is good news for anyone who may contract the original COVID variant in the future, this doesn't mean people should refuse the vaccine. The study didn't account for every new variant. And for some of the variants it did account for, natural immunity was not as protective. These findings should be used to design future vaccine distribution plans rather than dissuade people from getting inoculated. And our final narrative spin is an establishment critical narrative, and it's provided by Town Hall. This study shows that Big Pharma and its government lackeys lied through their teeth for power and profit. Science is never settled. Yet debate on natural immunity was stifled and vaccine mandates were pushed around the globe. Meanwhile, those who were vaccine injured or affected by the mandates can't even sue, as the government gave the pharma companies legal immunity. Vaccines may have had an important role in fighting the pandemic, but vaccination should always have been a personal choice. Thanks for listening to the Improve the News podcast for Saturday, February 18th, 2023. Each day we use machine learning to read about 5,000 articles from about 100 newspapers and figure out which ones are about the same stories. For each major story, our editorial team then extracts both the key facts that all articles agree on and the key narratives where the articles differ. For more information on Improve the News, please visit our website, improvethenews.org. You can also download the Improve the News app on the Apple App Store or Google Play. For Adam Clark, I'm Eric Steiner inviting you to join us next time on Improve the News.